Category is mental health. Category is it takes a village. Category is motherfucking stories over stigma. Oh, <laughs> Hey, welcome back, everyone. We are live for week two of Bipolar Girl podcast and super excited because this week is actually the Bipolar Summit. We've been talking about it. We're super excited about it. Uh, I can't believe we're in year three, and I can't believe this is the second year of the summit. I mean, how exciting. You say that we've been talking about it, but we've only had one show. So when have we been talking about it? Well, no, we've been talking about season three and we've been talking about, um, of course, this um, getting the summit back. And boy, are we ha- we're going to have like just like a really incredible um, conversation. And Megan from the Inspired Women's podcast and Dr. Amy DeRamis, of course, who was one of some of our early guests. You know, Dr. Amy included us in her book as a resource, which is pretty cool. And we're just super excited about that. And we, you know, I'm looking forward to an incredible conversation. And I just, I, I, I can't say more. I'm just, I'm super excited. Um, let's see who, who we have. Uh, Star, is that you? Uh oh. No, there's that is me. Yep. Hey, Star. Star's here. Megan's here. Genevieve is here. Prince is here. They're in, and I've accepted them. And bear with us. We're, of course, you know, new technology. I invited them as a speaker. Um, I'm following them. Um, yes, everyone out there, we are still getting used to, you know, we have Prince. I've invited as a speaker as well. Jonathan. There, there's Jonathan. Woohoo! Everybody's jumping on now. We're super excited. Um, and hopefully, uh, let's see. Uh, we got that under, under wraps. Right here. Um, yeah, so... We, you know, we started this uh, summit because we thought it was a great idea to bring together thought leaders, advocates, people with, you know, um, expertise as therapists and who are practitioners um, in this mental health space. It's more than just bipolar. It's mental health. It's all the way from anxiety um, to bipolar. It's ADD. It's it's autism. It's everything. And there are all of these challenges. And just having a great discussion with individuals um, like we're going to have, uh, we think is very important in the community and 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 hopefully very informative so we're excited you're with us um star thank you for being with us while we're still waiting for everyone yes absolutely um sorry we're just trying to figure everybody out um so one thing that we wanted to talk about before we got into the summit is um something that we talked about in the first recorded session that didn't make it to you guys because Steven's sound was bad. Um, but we wanted to talk about um, boundaries. And we have a funny story about boundaries. We um, we went to Florida to see my parents. And 
when we were in Florida, we also went down to see uh, Stephen's college buddy. And when Stephen and his college buddy got together, they apparently decided that they weren't 40 something years old and they drank themselves into oblivion. And I had to be the mommy of everybody and clean up and take care of everyone. And I thought that that was a funny story. So I went back to my mother's house and I told them a funny story. And Stephen flipped out. And he told me that I needed to have more boundaries and that wasn't an appropriate conversation to have with my mother. And what really frustrated me about it is Stephen sat there and said, you need to have boundaries. And I said, okay, great. What are those boundaries? And he said, I can't tell you that. Well, it's it's not that I couldn't tell her. I was I was really trying to f articulate the frustrations that I was feeling, and you know, you know, it was the the thing is is that I didn't feel like I didn't feel like this was something our parents needed to know. Like I'm a very private person, and it's not like I'm not calling my mother and saying, "Hey." Boy, you know I got super, you know, drunk, I got super, super drunk, drunk tonight. Super drunk tonight. Um, so someone needs someone need to, to lower their their um their it's, their it, speaker. It, it okay, there it is. Um, so let's see. We're, we're gonna get Genevieve. Megan just made it. Hey, Megan. Hey, can you hear me? Yes, yes. I can hear you. Thank you. Um. Yeah, it, it takes a little bit of getting used to, and luckily right now we still have enough time to, to kind of like uh, make sure everybody's here. I, I swear, the uh, the technical difficulties. So Megan, we were talking about um, Stephen and his boundaries. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I, I was explaining that I'm a private person. So we. So Stephen is more private than I am, and um, I, I I'm the type of per I. I tell my mother everything. And so like, there isn't a big boundary between me and my mom because she's like my best friend and I tell her everything. Whereas Steven has boundaries with everybody and doesn't tell anybody any damn thing. Right. Right. And my that's kind of guy. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks Prince. Thank you. Thank you. Back, Steve. Thank you Prince. Because like, look, I am not going to tell my mother, hey, I got wasted with my college buddy at but, 45. I'm just not going to do it. I didn't tell my mother that I got wasted at 45. I told my mother that you got wasted at 45. <laughs> That's the point. <laughs> that is the point right there. You just answered <laughs> the question. Um, I'm trying to figure out, like, where is... Uh, I, I sent Genevieve the invite to join as a speaker. Um, and the same goes with where Jonathan. Is, and where is Amy? Amy's not on yet. You know what I think happens? Because it happened to me too. I thought because I was on my computer, it would work. Same. But I actually, I'm on my phone now. Yeah. Oh, they had to get on their phones. Really? Yeah, it's it's very phone centric. Great headphones and microphone. <laughs> Really? Yeah. Robin is very phone centric. Yeah. Oh, that's good to know, guys. We got to figure this one out then. Text I, Amy. I just, I just, let me say, let's, Genevieve, uh, if you can hear, 
use your phone. Yeah, apparently the phone works better. Yeah, I am so um, sorry. We cannot hear. Oh, Genevieve says she can hear. That's so funny. <laughs> so she can hear we can we hear can. you, but we can't talk back to you because they want you to download the app when we click on your email from our computers or desktop. Hey. They want us to download an app. Yeah. Okay, so they need to download the app and you join from their phone. This there might not go. be the best platform, love. Well, no. I mean, you know, that's the thing is we might have to switch to another one. I mean, you know, it was all just a shot and I'm learning um, that is... Uh, you're doing fantastic, Steve. It's okay. Yeah. I, I actually <laughs> left I left Podbeam and went to StreamYard for that reason. Cause if you're on your computer, you don't want to like have to like get off. Especially if you're dealing with people that aren't tech savvy. They get flustered and I would lose guests because they'll be like, Well, I can't do it. I'll just do it tomorrow. <laughs> like, uh, but I'm on now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, this is this is like, you know. Uh, this is uh, one of those things. I'm gonna boo. I'm gonna boo. Yeah, because I don't I, boo. I seriously don't. Don't hang in there, Steve. Don't hang <laughs> in there. Don't boo. <laughs> so, so anyway, so yeah, so just to recap, we we went down to Florida. I hung out with my friend D, and uh, we got wasted. We took too many shots. Um, and uh, they were drinking like they were in college. They were messy. Oh. Right. <laughs> and no. then you know what these two jokers had the nerve to do to me? They woke up the next morning after I after I had to take care of all of them. They woke up the next morning and they were like, "See, you never got a college experience. So that was your first college experience. You would have been the mommy of the group." I'm like, "That's ridiculous." Whoa. That is ridiculous. <laughs> that is not what I signed up for. Oh look, there, there. Okay, there is. Uh... No, Genevieve. I is think here. I'm in. Do you hear me? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Woo! Okay. Yay. Okay. <laughs> yes. Technology yes. zero. Us one. <laughs> yeah, we're cheering right now. There are my sound effects. Yes, them cheering. Um, I'm telling you, this is um, this is definitely a learning experience for all of us, and uh, and thank goodness. Thank goodness, right here, everyone is like kind of uh, uh, forgiving, and we just—I don't—I don't know where Amy is. I think Amy's having; she might be struggling with the use of technology. Maybe we should have done this show differently, just because um, there were multiple moving parts. But anyway, we were talking about uh, the fact that okay, so we kind of set this up in the pre-show for everybody who's participating in the summit that when I went to Florida, I hung out with my friend D we started taking too many shots. I got wasted. D was hugging the porcelain, you know, big time at the end of the night. I had to blow up her bed. She couldn't even manage to get in bed. She, she couldn't figure it out like her blow up mattress. Cause she gave us her room. And so, but her master bedroom, she was in her bathroom, you know, uh, uh, hugging the toilet. God bless her. Um, but so Rebecca had to blow up the bed. I didn't want to tell this story to anybody's parents, especially hers or mine. I mean, it's not like, I don't, but it's hilarious. It is hilarious, but I'm not going to call my mother and say, Hey mom, like I said before, I'm not going to say, Hey mom, I got wasted. Like, woohoo. I had too many shots. My mother's gonna be like, do you have a problem? Do we need to talk about it? <laughs> but my, do you parents, need to my parents just laugh at it. Yeah, I, I understand that, but it's the, it's the boundaries and it's understanding what we have in our trust circle and what we sh what can be um um oh here it is here he is here's jonathan um um and and what we want to articulate 
to the outside world. So, uh, Megan, tell us about what these boundary Hello. issues you're hey, having. Jonathan. Hey, Jonathan. Welcome. Oh, my God. I had, to, I had to go back out and hit the link again. I was oh. here, but I wasn't. <laughs> is it working how you want? Oh, good. Okay, great. Yeah, so, yeah so, great. For, so for everyone else, if you're having trouble, just log out and log back in. And Jonathan said it started working. Yeah, so you hit, hit the power button up on the right-hand side. You'll be you'll be whisked out of here. <laughs> so, Megan, I know that you have a mother with boundary issues that you've been oh, complaining about. But yours is on a whole different level than ours. Yes. Yes, uh -uh. it is. Um, so first off, um, uh, Steven, my oh, spouse is very private as well. And, uh, he, we've had issues where I have told too much and he's just like, I am not comfortable <laughs> with people knowing all of that information. So you're not alone. Um, but Rebecca, I am like you, <laughs> I am a sharer. Uh, so yeah, my mom. <laughs> Uh, my mom, <laughs> she's special. Um, she, so my entire life, uh, my mom had me at a really young age. Uh, she was 18 when I was born and was kind of forced to marry my dad because of it. This is back in the eighties. So that was back, you know, when parents would force their children to get married because they had a yep, child yep. out of wedlock. It wasn't allowed. And, uh, so my mom basically, uh, as I was growing up, uh, I have a sister, but she never treated my sister the same way. She would tell me, oh, I didn't get to go to college because of you. I didn't get to marry the love of my life because of you. Oh, um, dear. You ruined my life by being born. Oh, all this. As a child, I'm hearing this. And my mom was uh, one of those people that uh, could, never, could never give me a compliment without a but after it. Um, so I got older, um, my twins, my youngest are twins for anybody listening. And it was their first birthday party. And my mom was drinking and having my oldest daughter fetch her beer, which is an, uh, to me, that's inappropriate at a one-year-old's birthday party. <laughs> but, um, right. Anyways, uh, she wanted my daughter to go spend the night with her that night. I said, fine, but we have a baby shower the next day for my sister-in-law. Well, my mom has my oldest daughter call me the next morning, say, oh, she doesn't want to come. I said, well, you committed to this. I teach my kids, you commit something, you, you better, you know, show up for it. And uh, my mom drops her off and she gets in a huge argument with me. Uh, a couple hours later, has a seizure and no. a caused by a stroke. And everybody thought it was over our argument. She allowed everybody to believe it was over our argument for a whole year. Oh, my she God. She didn't tell anybody that the doctor had told her there was no way it was caused by our argument. It was actually caused because her brain is smaller because of a disease she has. And the waves from being in the ocean bounced it around. So I didn't talk to her for a year. Um, she put up my house and I told her to leave cause she wasn't welcome. I had her blocked and all the things. And then I just said, I'm gonna give her another chance. And I wrote her a letter with all the details of this is my expectations. And for the first year it was good. Um, and then for the next seven, eight years, it slowly got worse. And I cut her off again two years ago. And this woman, I have had to block her on everything everything but you know what you can't block them on writing letters <laughs> so she's wrote me letters oh no um, she tries to get messages through me through my oldest daughter and my sister uh so yeah it has been an issue with boundaries i have decided since the last time she like last week i was in virginia for a work trip and 
uh, she started pulling crap again with my oldest daughter. And I was like, listen, I'm done. Like, I don't care. Cause I had told her, like I wrote her a letter when I cut her off and said, if you get therapy, cause she's been through a lot and she really does need therapy. Um, but I cut her off cause she told me she wished she never met my dad. She wished, uh, she never had me cause then her life wouldn't have been ruined. Um, so I told her, I said, until you get therapy and you work through the stuff that you have going on, um, and she has a history of mental illness. So I know she actually does ha have a reason to be in therapy. I'm not gonna have a relationship with you, but I finally was just like, you know what? I don't care if she sees a therapist or she finds Jesus. We are not having a relationship because I cannot have a relationship with somebody who cannot re respect boundaries at all. And so that's the long, the long story short, that is uh, the boundary issues that I have had to deal with, with my mother. And no, you cannot block people from sending you letters. I Googled it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it sounds like she's a little high on the, the, the neurotic scale. Yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, which you, uh, is, if there's, I'm not a mental yeah, health ahead. professional, but I go to, I go, I, I'm a psychology graduate student. And if I were sure. to place a wager on what kind of mental health disorder she has, I would say depression and borderline personality disorder. That would right. be my that, So, At any rate, um, that you do, you usually does carry with neuroticism and, and there's, there's no negotiation with people who are high in the, in the, in neuroticism traits, right? Um, so that's difficult for you. I'm sorry you had to go through that. Thank you. So, 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 speak, so speaking of boundaries, before we actually jump into the uh, the summit and we and we pass this off to um, Dr. D and Megan, um, you know, what say our panel about you know boundaries? Um, and you'll definitely get an opportunity to introduce yourself once we cross over into the actual summit. Um, but just now, we're just having that casual conversation. Um, about boundaries and um, how do you establish those boundaries? Let's let's lead off. Uh, Star, you've been quiet. Let's uh, let's let's hear from you. Sure. So this is actually something I recently decided that I needed to see a new therapist because I wasn't actually making any progress with the therapist I was with, and I'm like, you know what? I have consistently brought up the fact that I feel like I am a complete pushover that I have no way to set boundaries. I don't know how to do it. I know that it's there, but I have no concept of how to do that in a healthy way. And I often feel like when I set a boundary, I feel guilty and I feel like I've done something wrong. And, and that's something that, you know, I hope, I hope I can tackle in therapy because it'd be really nice to know. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I hear you. What about Genevieve? Do you want to respond? Yeah. yeah. Um, Have you guys heard of Glennon Doyle? No. 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 Okay. So that name right there should be everyone's go-to source for how to set appropriate boundaries, how to stick to them, and with a real approach. Not like, you know, sometimes the therapy approach can be a little bit over the head and a little bit, you know, doesn't quite like pan out the mm -hmm. way in real life. Glennon Doyle. She's got her own podcast called We Can Do Hard Things. She's got also a couple books, but I really love her approach to those difficult family situations that you just described with the mother and, and really empowers you to not feel that guilt and know that you are doing what you feel is best, why you're doing it and letting you be real solid in that decision so that no one can tip you. So I would just a big, great resource to go to is check out Glennon Doyle's work. She has tackled it 
in many different contexts. Like I said, she's got books, she's got a podcast, but she can really speak to, she sets up this beautiful analogy of like, you know, you have your island and you have your family on that little island and you get to decide who you lower that drawbridge for and who you pull it up for. And until they meet the requirements that you feel comfortable with, the drawbridge is pulled up. And when you feel that it's ready to go down, you get to put it back down and you can revoke that privilege at any time as well. But I just know for myself, like it helped me really establish clear boundaries and not feel guilty about it when I did it. It's something about how she puts it, her wording. I don't know. It makes it really approachable and easy to think about. You know what? Thank you for that. Dr. D, what say you? And then we'll move into like sort of an open commentary. Um couple of things. I like the castle metaphor with um, the drawbridge. Sometimes boundaries can be a little bit more um, fluid than that. And you might have to talk about specific roles like, okay, you can come into the castle, but this is the kind of relationship I'm willing to have right now until some trust is established. Mm-hmm. I think we both as Star, um, I think that Star was talking a little bit about that earlier. It's like, these are the terms on which you get to enter the castle. And, you know, if things go well, you might be able to earn, you know, different boundaries, a different role in my space. Interesting. And then also, like, all you can ever be responsible for is setting your own boundaries well, because how somebody responds is on them. It's not up to you to control their boundaries because that's theirs. So when you're setting boundaries, the the goal ideally should be, I'm proud of how I set my boundaries. Interesting. A lot of control over how somebody else is going to respond. You can know you set your boundaries and you can know how you're going to respond if they don't respond well. You know, and, 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 and that's interesting because it's like, you know, I, I also don't want to seem like I'm a prude, mm-hmm. but at the same time, that's, you know, some things that you get upset about are petty, mm-hmm. like now. But think about it being 17 years of things that you've just you just allowed to slide off of your, you know, your shoulder, your back. And then all of a sudden the the, the petty stuff starts to annoy you. And then but for Madam Brain Fog over here who does not remember, you know, things and that's a good thing and sometimes a bad thing because she doesn't strategically look at why I'm upset. And then I have to and then I remind her and but she doesn't readily always like you know it doesn't register so you know it can be a challenge from you know from that perspective to remember and remind you know rebecca that you know this is years of frustrations not necessarily just one or two things that was a rude way of contacting me madam brain fog no, I just mean I was trying to be funny. I'm sorry. Right, Madam Brain Fog. Okay. <laughs> but he's right. I mean, things happen with my family. That I mean, my family has dry, sarcastic humor and they will focus on the negative before they focus on the positive. And so they'll say things out of turn. But like that was a year ago. I don't remember a year ago. I, <laughs> I don't. I literally don't. So Stephen has all these memories and all this stuff stay, saved up in his brain. And he's like, don't you remember they did it this time? And I was like, I, no. Yeah, it's like stored. Yeah, it's stored things. And I'm sure like with Megan, like you don't, I don't know like how your memory is, Megan, but it's hard to forget those hurtful things that people have said to you in the past, whether they didn't, whether they were just in the moment or not. They, yes. Um, 
Some things stick out and other things don't. I mean, because I also have bipolar disorder, which, you know, gives you brain, brain fog. fog. And then, of course, my medication also yeah. does. <laughs> yeah. So I frequently one. like, what's that word? What What is that thing that happened? And my spouse is like, uh, you told me that story like two weeks ago. And I'm like, oh, did I? I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. But those really hurtful things, when they're hurtful to the person, are are difficult they stand out they're difficult to to forget um and even if i don't remember all the little nuances of what my mother has done to me i remember those specific things right the things that i mentioned to you you know the things that she said that were particularly hurtful even though i know somewhere you know i know that there was more i just can't remember the more because right thanks bipolar disorder prince prince i wanted to get your feeling on this boundary issue and i'm not certain if you are dealing with it in your home um well my my wife and her mom talk every day sometimes two three four times a day oh my gosh versus me I yeah. don't talk I don't talk to my mom at all. Not because I don't love her, not because I'm holding some some weird memories from before, but I'm just not a phone person. I'm isolated. I like to be to myself. And she will call me, speaking of boundaries, she will like call and she'll be like, Hi, uh, just let you know that I'm your mom. Like, you know, and that annoys me because it's like We've had this conversation. You know, I'm not a phone person. I'm not going to call you. If my dad can call me three to four times a day and I'll pick up, you can pick up the phone. This whole game of you wait for me to call you, I'm going to win every single time. And I've actually blocked her like for a month because I got tired of hearing it. Like you said, Steven, it adds up, it builds up, it builds up. And finally, it could be that day she's being sarcastic and thinking she's funny, but I'm fed up. And I'm like, okay, well, this is how I'm going to deal with it. I'm a little more stoic and a little more blunt with it to where I respect my space, then you're going to deal with the consequence of us not having a relationship. That's just it. Wow. That's, that's, and that's really, that's really strong. So how do you, Amy D, let's, let's, let's talk to you, like, you, I mean, though, that statement's very strong from Prince, like, you know, and some days that's how I feel, like, how do you deal, how do you resolve those types of issues? Or what's the best approach? What's the best approach? Okay, so Prince isn't a phone person. Um, for example, if I was talking to him and his mom, like, is there some other way of communicating that you like better? Your mom would like to hear from you more. Um, are you more of an email person? Um, text. Is there a way that you'd be willing to meet her a little bit as far as contacting her more, but some way that feels comfortable to you? Um, honestly, I'm just like, it, it annoys me sometimes when my mom, when my wife is talking to her mom three or four times a day because I'm like, what could y'all possibly have to talk about that you didn't cover the first three times? Everything. So with me and my mom, I like to have a whole bunch of stuff built up. But like, okay, this is what's going on since we last talked versus, so what happened five minutes ago? Nothing. So now it's dead air on the phone. I just, I, I, I just can't do it. I can't. One of your things is 
You want to talk once in a while when you've saved up enough to have a real conversation. Yes. That makes sense. Dead air bothers me. Mm -hmm. Phony Dead phone air. calls bother me. Mm -hmm. Wow. So it seems like, yeah, I mean, we have some strategies. Uh, Genevieve gave us uh, some, uh, some, some helpful tips. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's, it's something that we're ultimately have, I think we've resolved. We've worked through. I actually jumped on her uh, call with R Rebecca's therapist, and we kind of talked through some things. And, uh, and, now, and now it's time to move on. And speaking of moving on, I am excited to get into this year's summit, the Advocates Roundtable, hashtag stories over stigma, a shout out to Coach P. Um, um, who was on the show? Everybody knows her book. She's an, um, a, a, a basketball NCAA championship winning coach. She wanted to be here, but she's on a trip that she had pre planned and she wishes us her best. Um, and a shout out to Co Coach P. Uh, Amy is trying to get on, but she's having some technical difficulties um, um, with her app right now. So if she joins us, great. If not, we understand. But we definitely want to get into um, the round table. And so we're just going to do, um, un unlike our my originally planned transition for interview of the week, our interview of the week is the summit, and we're certainly going to play our old transition. And then when we come back, it's going to be passed over to Amy and Megan. Um, I'm assuming Megan, based on the way that we wrote it out in terms of topics, the power of sharing your story, you'd go first, and then and then and then Amy or both of you guys will tag team each topic. Um, but either way, that's up to you two. Um, Rebecca and I will just become panelists and um, and and enjoy the show. So right after this little transition. Bipolar Girl Productions presents Bipolar Girl Interview of the Week. All right, it's you ladies. Take over. Megan, okay. is Amy here? Amy, here. you are here. Yay. <laughs> Do you want to introduce yourself first? Megan's muted. Go ahead, Amy. Oh, Megan's muted. Okay, so um, oh. the theme for this day was actually uh, Megan's idea, which is the power of story. So I wanted to start maybe by asking people, what has to happen before you're comfortable sharing your stories? You know, that was a hard decision for us. I mean, even when we started the podcast, like we had our stage names and everything else, mm -hmm. and it was really a big deal for me to come out with my story. Um, and when I did, I was very disappointed that I didn't get the kind of response that I was expecting from my family. They mainly just ignored it <laughs> and ignored me. Um, but, you know, I, nobody that I work with knows that I'm bipolar. I don't think I would ever come out with it at work. Um, but in my personal life, I finally did. But even in my personal life, like, I still kind of get treated like, oh, you're making it up or, oh, it's not as bad as it's, as you say it is and all that kind of stuff, which is really disappointing because mm -hmm. you would want somebody to believe you when you tell your story, you know? Yeah, yes, definitely. Can you guys hear me now? Yes. Okay. Yay. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what happened. Uh, I completely understand. When did you come out with your story, Prince? Um, immediately. Oh, wow. Okay. 
uh, immediately, um, doctor um, uh, came back, diagnosed me. I guess the reason why it was easier for me was because my grandmother was um, schizophrenic. So I was around it. I was around mental health issues my whole life. So I understood it and I knew that it wasn't a, it was it was a real thing. So I wasn't more like you're making it up or anything like that. Like I knew. And then things just started making sense in my own life. And I knew how I would come off to people and during certain periods. So I'd rather me just put it out there so people can understand. And if it was something that I missed that I may have possibly did or said to somebody, they can possibly understand it. And now we can have a better dialogue about Mm -hmm. it. So I came out with my story immediately. See, mental illness runs deep in my family, but it's never talked about. So me coming out with a mental illness, like I was the first one. I was the first one of the uncles and aunts and the cousins. And God knows we all suffer from it because grandparents suffered from it. So I, I mean, if I was in your shoes and it was already spoken about in the family, I probably would have come out with it a lot sooner. I think we have Megan now, who's 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 leading. Who's Megan, to... when did you come out with your story? You could go ahead and take. Can this you hear me here. now? Yes. 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 Okay. <laughs> when did I come out with? Okay. My well, story? But Megan is still trying to figure out her uh, technical issues. Hey, Tom. Tom. Um, yeah, Tom's right here. Why don't you take the moment to talk about your story? You and Genevieve, you might want to talk about your story as well. Okay. Sure. I'd be more than happy to. So, like. I guess my story with Genevieve is we met uh, in graduate school in Miami and, you know. Okay. Tom's not there either. This sucks. Um, I can hear Tom and Megan. You heard us. You can hear them? Yeah. 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 We yeah. can hear each other. Right now, right? <laughs> Who, yeah, we hear Why each other. Yeah, we hear each browser? other, right? Prince, do you hear? I don't know, because I'm not. A yes, different... ma'am. Yeah, you do. Close I hear Prince and I think I hear Megan. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm right here. Megan. on. I think it's like. Oh my God. Can you hear me? John? It's like, did the host, like I said, I hear you, John. Yeah, we yeah. hear you, John. Oh, okay, good. It's only. Pretty silent, I, think it's so like, I think it's like Stephen. Stephen maybe can't wow, hear. Wow, that's us. weird. It seems like the hosts can't hear some yeah, people, right? but Isn't the rest it, of us can. It. It's like the hosts have left. It's like the teachers have left the room, guys. We got the room yes. ourselves. What are we going to do? Let's throw paper. <laughs> Spitballs. Hey, we get to love the show here. Um, Who has the answers? Who's got all the answers? That's right. Pass those answers around. That's me, but it's going to cost you. $100 an hour, right? That's right. I, 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 I can't come. That's Canadian, though, so it's cheaper. Hey, that's right. You get a discount. Out of the American here. Well, what is it? You know when they they do where they change all the grades because people are doing doing really bad. We all have. All right, so really you bad. guys go ahead and just keep talking, it. Megan. Go ahead and keep talking. Oh, so Megan, we oh. were talking about like your idea of the power of the story and what has to happen before people feel comfortable telling their stories and when they came out with their story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, My podcast is all about telling stories, and I find that stories are very powerful uh, for multiple reasons. One, they can be very freeing to people, uh, which it was for me when I got diagnosed with bipolar disorder. I've struggled with depression since I was very young, and um, now looking back, I can see the mania part came when I was a teenager, 
And um, it was finally like, oh my gosh, this is what is going on with me. I can finally say, wow. And so I find it's freeing. I also find it can be very inspirational. Sometimes when you share your story, you may not always get the reaction you want, but you might get that person or two people or three people that reach out and go, me too. Or, wow, thank you for saying that because that's how I've been feeling. I've been feeling so alone in my struggles. Um, and I've, I've seen that through the podcast guests as well. And usually somebody can take a nugget out of your story. Mm -hmm. But I know it's super scary. Um, so what is some struggles y'all have had um, with telling your story? I, um, I kind of, when I first got diagnosed, I kind of just told everybody because I like, I didn't understand what, like, I didn't really understand what it meant. And I didn't really understand what, how it affected me. So I was just, I would just walk up and tell anybody. And then I got to the point where I didn't care. <laughs> and I remember um, one time I was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very like rejection sensitive. So usually, you know, I, when I was internet dating, if somebody didn't want to go out with me or something like that, I'd be like, Oh, what did I do wrong this time? And like, I remember telling someone like, I just said, oh, I'm, I'm just back from a therapy appointment. And they're like, why are you in therapy? And then I just said, I have bipolar disorder. And, you know, that's not even the only diagnosis that I have. And he was like, oh, my God, like, I can't deal with that. And I was like, oh, OK, wow. next. you know, and like, I didn't even care because I was like, if that's going to scare you away, like, clearly this this was never going to happen. Mm -hmm. I, I I can reaffirm that in a way that um, I was just recently on online dating and uh, I've got a hundred percent I've got a go rate that's what I call it <laughs> when you because I'm I'm completely honest and out there like the rest of you right like with my post traumatic stress and depression and things and so like if I'm out there in public on a forum if I'm going to talk to somebody online dating I'm figuring well they're going to find it so I let it out early and it always ends up with a uh, thumbs down. <laughs> so I'm sorry you went through that though. I understand. I have a problem with, um, when I tell people my diagnosis that they either don't take it, they either don't believe me or they don't take it seriously. Like I'll tell somebody I'm OCD and they're like, oh, I'm so OCD too. And it's like, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're no. not OCD. Like you like things neat and you like to be clean and tidy and that's fine. But that's not a medical disorder. Like, don't tell me you're OCD. And I tend to get into a lot of arguments with people over, you know, my illness isn't your adjective. And those are my biggest problems. But I think the biggest thing why I don't come out to more people, especially in the workplace, is just the fear of judgment. You know, like the fear of, oh, well, now you can't handle this job or we have to treat you with, you know, white gloves or any of those things, which, you know, I don't want. So I just keep it in my personal life. Yeah. Has anybody else struggled with telling their story or does anybody have a positive? I feel like y'all, it's a very well, serious struggle for all of us to share our stories because we'll always get like negative feedback. Like my mother told me, oh, we always knew there was something off with you. We just called that being Megan. So you know, <laughs> we've all dealt with that. But does anybody maybe have a, a positive experience from sharing their story? I think positive on the positive note, I feel better 
being out to my friends and family because now when I have a bad day, I can simply say I've had a bad day and like they'll either get it or they won't. And I don't care either way, but like I, I'm more free to talk about it. Whereas before it was like this big secret that I had to keep to myself and it was like eating me up inside. So I, I think the positive side of it is that I, I, I can be more vocal about my illness now than I ever was. Prince, what about you? If we I, haven't heard from you in a little bit. Um, again, my, cause I've always been the, the classic, um, in your face, don't care, say what I need to say, be done with it, deal with it. So when I told my story, my family, cause especially in the black community, they just don't talk about mental health like that. Um, it's just, it's something that, you know, it's either, you know, they used to make little comments like so-and-so's a little off or so-and-so's a little touch. So the only thing I could say that's now changed, they're a little more careful when they say stuff like that around me. Cause I'll be like, <laughs> like, I'm like, you know, you're just, everybody's a bad, um, a bad day away from being where I am. So don't think you're better than the next person stuff like that. So if anything, it's brought more awareness to my family. So now if I'm isolated, if I'm drawn, if I'm in my room, they'll ask, like, are you OK? Versus, you know, just let me stay up there or just see that I'm snapping on people. And, you know, they even ask me, hey, did you take your medicine today? Mm -hmm. So it, the awareness, the positive, the positive aspect of it is the awareness now that my family has being around me that I think that's the best part about it. That is nice. Yeah. You provide like the opportunity for support. Mm -hmm. What sucks is when you don't get the support, but when you get it, that's positive. Yeah. It's, right. it's very good. Um, like I said, I, you know, I do my thing. The only issue, the, the issue I have is when I'm in the, when I'm in my manic phase, and my mania phase and I'm just doing things and I'm I'm on top of the world and stuff like that. Um they want to reel me in, but I don't want to be reeled in. <laughs> and, and they're like, you know what? It, he's not hurting anybody, so if he wants to buy 20 Funko Pops, just let him buy them. We'll deal with it later. Stuff like that. So it, it you know, it's it's every day it's a struggle, mm -hmm. but the positivity is they're now aware that is something above just saying, oh, that's just Prince being Prince. No, there's there's a reason why something's happening. Let's figure it out. Mm -hmm. What about um, Tom? If I may chime in for a moment. Oh, oh, John, yes, go ahead. Sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I've, my whole life I've been a helper, like um, a volunteer firefighter and all that kind of stuff. And then, of course, my job was to look after people and deal with mental illness and severe behavior difficulties and really it's all I've ever known so when I had to go off work which I'm on workers compensation now um, I still needed to find some therapeutic release for myself and my, my the helper in me is so wrapped up in my own identity that I really started taking this on as a therapeutic thing for myself and then and then I thought well there were so many people that came to me and would say I'm, I'm so glad that you're so vocal about your own mental health conditions because uh, I'm scared to death, but I have this. And so it, it, it ended up becoming like a, 
with my counseling counseling background, I started doing one-on-ones with people, and then it evolved into the, the blog, and then my books, and and what I the feedback that I get from people when I actually have successfully helped someone. Um, that's that's way so so much or outweighs the negative stuff that I that I uh, encounter, you know. So, like every once in a while, I'll get an email from somebody saying like you've you've made a difference, or I really needed to read that article today, or what have you. So it's been very rewarding and positive that way. So that's that's where my focus. I try to keep my focus. Um, as much as depression sometimes won't let you, but at the same time, it allows me to create a gratefulness inventory. And uh, it may, it helps pull me out of the depression a little bit. Yeah, I, I agree. I've had the same um, the same sort of reaction. You know, some people will reach out and say, you know, thank you. Or, oh, I actually had two people I know get diagnosed with bipolar disorder because they, they heard themselves in my story when I'm sharing. And I think that can be really powerful and, and help normalize mental health struggles and everything for everybody, whether they have bipolar disorder or not, because now they see, oh, I'm not alone. Like I'm not alone and struggling with mental health. Um, So speaking of mental health, I think this would be a great segue into Amy, your uh, conversation about the therapy relationship. Yeah. I was just thinking, you know, mental health advocacy is slowly getting more influential. You know, you've got different organizations offering certifications and being peer support specialists. More and more people are having successful blogs and podcasts. And I feel like sooner or later that is going to start um, kind of making its way into the world of therapists who maybe work with people with mental illness but don't have one. Um, How would you like to see your story or could potentially change the nature of the therapeutic relationship or what it's like to be in therapy if there are therapists who don't share your experiences. That was my cat. Sorry about that. <laughs> I think as as a therapist out there working in mental health, but now I myself do have my own, you know, background with depression and anxiety, so I can relate on those fronts. However, I don't have experience with obviously many other diagnoses that um, I may be providing treatment for. But I think a really important thing that a therapist could do is, it's like that concept of like, if you're trying to speak up for someone or advocate for them, essentially, you don't need to hold the mic and speak for them, you could pass it to them. And so what I try to do in my therapeutic environments is create peer support groups to match individuals with that lived experience, with the client, you know, seeking services so that it doesn't directly come from me. I can use, you know, my therapeutic guidance in that interaction and I can facilitate that interaction essentially, but I don't need to speak to each diagnosis and have personal experience with it if I'm using the setting to more favorably provide that lived experience from another individual. What's amazing to me is how many individuals are out there that want to provide support to the communities they belong to and don't know how. So again, if you can create that setting where they can do that, beautiful things happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like I have uh, my, my best friend 
is also bipolar. And, you know, sometimes exactly what I need is to get on the phone with her and say, oh my gosh, you will not believe the day I had and tell her everything that, that went on, whether it was good or bad. And, and that's great. Like, I feel like that's, she's a really supportive person who is like a key part of my support system. And, you know, I'm a key part of her support system. And I feel like it's great that we can talk to each other on that level. And I know she understands what, what I'm talking about. I understand what she's talking about. But when I go into therapy, I really don't feel the need to, to mimic that relationship mm-hmm. because I kind of like, you know, there, there have been times when both of us have, you know, been through an episode at the exact same time. And like, we can't help each other do anything because we're immobilized by this episode. And I feel like, you know, and we kind of can separate and deal with our stuff and come back and it'll be, it'll be even better than ever. But when I see a therapist, like I really want like a different kind of dynamic and a different kind of relationship. And I feel like I don't have to have to think this person knows exactly down to the fine minutia um, that they understand what I'm talking about. Yeah. And if I could jump in too, I, I, this is more of an observation. Um, and hello, group. It's great to be with you. Um, Thanks, Professor Tom. Yeah. Hey, so, you know, this is an observation I've made over, you know, the last year and a half. And, you know, as a person who doesn't have, you know, um, any type of, of you know, mental illness, um, I've, you know, switched from an in-person arena to a totally remote arena. And what I observed was students... Who, who you know took online courses with me were far more likely to reach out to me to disclose their issues uh, because of I believe just the platform. They would write me letters telling me, "Hey, you know I'm going through a lot this week. Um, you know I'm not well. Someone in my family isn't well." And when we were in person, I wouldn't get that same type of um, you know that that same type of of story from the student. I feel like. They would potentially be um, intimidated at coming to your office hours. So I, I, I think something that's going to really change, especially this the teacher-student um, uh, relationship in the future of academia, is that we're going to keep a lot of these online um, platforms open for students to reach out to us because what we found is they do. And I think that's a great thing for people who are struggling and, and for the faculty to also help them, you know, point them in the right direction of resources on campus, you know, or just be there for them. You bring bring up a good point, and I don't know if I'm jumping too far ahead in the conversation, but it's one thing that Rebecca and I were talking about. Now that she's doing sort of telehealth and she's seeing her therapist like visually every week, she likes that, right, honey? I don't want to speak for you, but so I find the telehealth to be a lot more helpful, maybe for the therapist rather than for the person in therapy, because like on my bad days. I will answer the telehealth with my hair all over the place and still in my PJs. Whereas when I go see my psychiatrist, like I get dressed up and I put on makeup and I put on my outdoor face and like, you know, like you don't do that in telehealth, like in telehealth, you just answer the call. Yeah. That's why telehealth to me is like more real. Right. Cause it's like, you're in that place. Like you're in their home, not the way that you, you know, 
would be if you were there physically. But even when I used to go into their home, you'd feel that dynamic change, right? Like, oh, someone's here. Clean up before they get here. Organize. Right? You're right. Like, you would set up. So when you come in for some reason on the screen, it's like you're there, but you're not actually there, there, right? They can yeah, control so it. She she can get a very good idea of what my mental health is that day, depending upon how I look. Right. Whereas my psychiatrist can't get that because I physically go into her office and I will dress up and get ready to go. No. Yeah, exactly. But that's why, like if you capitalize on it, I feel like you can make such greater progress in therapy. So instead of you being in an uncomfortable place, wearing what you wouldn't wear, saying things you maybe wouldn't say, or, you know, not saying things you should be saying instead, you get to authentically be yourself. Mm -hmm. So now, uh, what I always tell clients is don't even wait always for the next session either. I would love that like the therapeutic, you know, relationship includes that you can reach out to me in times of crisis mm -hmm. and that I can jump in there because we all know a lot of times, especially with kids, maybe that day that they're having therapy, they're having an amazing day. So great, great, good for the kid, good for the therapist, but they're not getting to see. Meanwhile, two days later, when we are in like peak, you know, uh, arousal level and we don't know how to rein this in this is a good time now to contact the therapist so i feel like therapy has to evolve beyond just that you know scheduled visit setup and mm -hmm. do a little bit more of implementing when needed those are some of the things i always loved about doing community mental health in fact the only thing i hated about community mental health was the paycheck that's it it all comes out that is exactly, <laughs> you nailed it you nailed it every community program i do you, you sure uh, you're not doing it for a paycheck because it, that is the hardest part but these are services that are so desperately needed by people that really need this that have layers upon layers of challenges with no support it's like who's out there fighting for them when they and they exactly, you know that yeah. whole idea of fight for yourself good luck when the audit this it's all stacked against you it's that you know recently i spoke to someone you know that said this whole pull it up by your bootstraps analogy would be great except my bootstraps aren't connected to my boots so now what <laughs> <laughs> you get hit in the eye I also like the reality of telehealth because you can get so creative and kind of inclusive exactly as you said of their whole life and if they're having a really tough therapy session you know we can break we can like do we need to you know start your favorite playlist do you need to go get a hug from your partner do you need to go bring the dog into therapy and have some dog snuggles while we do this <laughs> I, I agree with everyone here. There's there's definitely a lot of benefit on a, on a personal level. I got zero benefit from it. Um, I don't know. I can't explain exactly why. It, it actually made me clam up. Well, I, I might be able to explain it in terms of because mm -hmm. I, I've, I have so many layers of, of trauma going on mm -hmm. that my go-to is to bury it. And to, mm -hmm. So that, that just – I just feel disconnected. Um, but I, I really support the idea of like doing um, – one-on-ones myself because mm -hmm. there's a lot of people who can't get out on their doorstep, let alone, you know, so it has a multitude of, of, uh, of benefits. Uh, it, and it's nice that we, that the in, in, in office treatments are still available because, mm -hmm. you know, it, it customizes and, and gives people options, mm -hmm. you know, so if you are having um, like a, a major depressive episode, uh, my, my psychologist will always offer to you can come into the office or we can have, mm -hmm. right. And those are wonderful flexibilities that we didn't have before. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I fully endorse that for sure. Mm -hmm. 
I don't know about everybody else. Um, I relate to Rebecca because on telehealth, I I literally, when I'm having like a really bad time, I will just show up and she knows she can see me and she's like, how you doing? <laughs> Not so great. Um, but I would cancel therapy sessions when they were only in person because I was depressed because sometimes when you're depressed, it takes everything in your energetic field to be able to just do the bare minimum to do go above and beyond and to get into my house or in my house in my car drive 15 minutes to her office and then walk up the stairs to her office it just seemed daunting Mm -hmm. but with the option of telehealth now it is all i have to do is drag myself a couple rooms down to get on the computer to talk to her which is much easier so i don't know if anybody else has experienced that same the same level of ease like rebecca was talking about with Mm -hmm. doing telehealth like when you're in a mental health struggle yeah i definitely have Um, oh i'm sorry go ahead that's okay i i like i had to discuss on a a major depressive episode um it is great to have that option because i even though i don't benefit personally tremendous amount from it it does it's like an emergency mental first aid you know mm-hmm. for for me so it, it might get me through the next visitation where i feel a bit better so, see. yeah absolutely and um uh i actually ended up moving during the pandemic which let me tell you i don't recommend that <laughs> but um no. we wow. moved uh an hour away and uh, we were able to keep our same providers uh, because we were able to do telehealth. And it was so nice because I didn't have to like start from square one with, you know, a new psychiatrist or something like that. And, you know, hope they could give me the same level of care that, that I needed. And, um, and that was, that was really convenient. Yeah, or like think about like pediatrics. It's like parents drive sometimes an hour, two mm-hmm. hours to get to therapy for 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you have other kids. It's like you have multiple visits. You're pulling them out of school. It's just like accessibility terms. I don't know. It's kind of hard to beat. Yeah. It definitely has a lot of strong points. And you know, with the system the way it is, I mean, every, every mental health system is kind of different in each country, I think. Here in Canada, for example, it's kind of a two-tiered mental health care system, which I am... A, drastically opposed opposed to but um so we have your public sector and you have your you have your private sector and and those things cause complications in terms of access too that that's what made me think of this the access mm-hmm. part right so you know what's really interesting is on uh, one of one of my clients that i work with um actually resides in canada and I'm from yes. Montreal, so I, you know, was under the school of thought of like, if there's increased accessibility compared to this country, it's definitely in Canada. What's fascinating mm-hmm. is that there's still pockets and areas of Canada itself where people are struggling to access care despite, you know, the universal health care, essentially. So I had to call my MLA to get help for my daughter. And some people have been waiting two years to get into the public system. Mm-hmm. So it's really bad here. Of course, um, Every system that the that, that's provided by in, in terms of social programming is in, in bad shape in Nova Scotia. But um, you know, it's I, I, I'm on WCB, so I get private care, which I'm fortunate for that way. But you know, I sit in the I sit in the, um, the waiting room, and I hear, "Is that cash or credit?" And it makes me cringe because you're not buying a coffee. <laughs> and I, I'm a very big proponent of public systems. And I think that if we pulled our resources back into a, a public system, we could help more people. 
and that would open up more options besides telehealth, besides people that are able to pay for it, you know, or, you know, there's so many people that are going without services today. It's, it's, it really, it's really quite sad. Mm-hmm. Well, when it comes to the, the link of, of telling your story, which is what we pivoted from, um, oh, we did. <laughs> I don't No, I know this is great. Like, um, I just wanted to bring up is, um, one of the things I've, I've experienced and maybe other people have experienced this as well is I'm, I'm part of some groups for people with bipolar disorder. I'm friends with people with bipolar disorder. And not only can I connect to their stories, but also it allows me the opportunity to bring things up in therapy that maybe I didn't realize or because I have, I have a therapist and a psychiatrist or with my psych, psych and say, hey, should I, maybe we should increase my medication because I guess I'm not supposed to feel like this. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. So um, I'm wondering for those of you who experience that, like, have you had the same thing where you see a post or you're part of a group and you're like, oh, that's an aha moment where I can bring this up in therapy or with my psychiatrist? Prince? Um, I <laughs> kind of go, the issue with me is since my stages are so really up and down, I mean, last week, I, well, a couple weeks ago, I told my wife I wanted to be a social worker. Mm-hmm. Um, I applied for the uh, master's program, got in. And the school contacted me and was like, hey, are you going to, um, are you coming this year? Are you coming this semester? I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> and, and, and they were like, um, okay. Um, okay. We kind of like, you know, did the whole application thing for you, gave you a spot and uh, what happened? <laughs> and, you know, I could have just said, you know, well, I just don't feel like I, I don't want to do that anymore. But I don't think she would have understood, like, really why I wasn't going to do it. any. I didn't want to do it anymore. So I think you bring up a really good point, because, like, that's something that people don't think about is like, yes, I want to I want to move mountains. Right. And I want to do the things that I want to do. But mental health, the reality of mental health conditions is that it gets in the way. Mm-hmm. It's awfully hard for people to understand that. It's like they think you should be grateful. Well, there's a there's a fundamental difference between mental illness and being grateful. They're not the same thing, right? You're right, Jay. You're right. You're right. Like I'm I'm grateful for everything in my life, but I still have I still go off the rails, you know. Right. (laughs) And 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 the issue with that, Jay, was you know it's like I constantly fight with myself because I'm like I don't also want it to become. And Dr. Amy, Dr. Mickey, you can help me with this because I talk with my therapist about this all the time. I don't want it to become a crutch mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I can yeah, yeah. follow through on things because I already have a master's degree. Uh-huh. So it's not out of the realm that I want to go back to school and do it again. But, you know, for it to just change that quickly where I go from, oh, yeah, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. And then I'm like, no, I don't want to do it. Then it's like, well. What are you doing? So that's what I'm constantly struggling with. Mm-hmm. That's when mental illness speaks, right? 
Yeah. Or takes over, whatever you want to say. That's where you know, more I, advocation is needed. I do the same thing when it comes to school. Like I bounce back and forth between what I'm going to be when I grow up all the time. And <laughs> Stephen just shakes his head at me and it's like, like, okay, so all growing up, I wanted to be a veterinarian. Now I could very well be a veterinarian. It's just, I would have to quit my job to be a veterinarian. Cause you can't go to vet school in during the night. Like it, it's not like that. Um, and so, like, we've gone back and forth, and we've talked about it, and we talked about it. And Stephen came up with this whole big plan, and he was like, we can do it if we do A, B, C, and D. And then I was like, nah. See? Yep. And then, That's exactly. and then I chose a different path. And I was like, okay, I'll do library of science. That works with what I'm doing now. And then just, like, a week ago, I looked at Stephen, and I was like, I, I think I might want to be a veterinarian. And he was like, no, 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 no. We already did this. <laughs> She's creative. <laughs> you know, what about though, if we like rethought the idea of what do you want to be when you grow up to instead, what do you want to do first? Ooh. Instead of what do you want to be? It's like, why do you have to pick one thing? Like, geez, so much pressure on a child. Like as an adult, I don't, like you said, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. I always tell the clients I work with all the time. I'm still working on what I want to be when I grow up. But instead, how about what can we do first? Or how and then you whatever have, you want to try next, you know, keep it open. Or how can you have some flexible kind of intersecting options? Ooh. Like being a therapist blends very well with being a teacher, being a writer, being a podcaster, being a lot of things. So it might be, you know, that's true. If I don't want to do one thing, why can't I do three or four if I can make them intersect? That's interesting. That's kind of been my philosophy. Like that. That's what I've been doing. Uh -huh. Well, and you know, and Rebecca in many ways is intersecting, John, hold on, I'm sorry, um, with our no, homestead no and our mm -hmm. animals, all of our goats and our birds and Yeah, everything. I mean, I instead of becoming a veterinarian, I've just started a mini farm, like. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry, John, Fun. That's okay. I was just going to say, like, I've, I've adapted that model where as I sort of intersect everything and uh, that, that because I'm off work, it, it also gives me that structure, right? Mm -hmm. um, and always gives me a goal to work towards and, and, uh, with a, with the main goal, of course, of helping others, but I can be creative in, in a multitude of different ways that are still, um, working hard to, um, um, inspire people to, to, to move towards, um, mental wellness. Oh. Mm -hmm. well, I like how y'all brought up flexibility um, so I'm pretty sure I decided to go back to school for psychology when I was manic. Um, <laughs> my spouse is like, are you sure about this? Because you have started and done different things so many times. Um, like I started two different businesses and then decided, nah, this isn't for me. I don't want to do this. <laughs> and I went through all these things I wanted to do. And I'm like, yes, yes, I want to be a therapist. Well, I was in school for psychology when I, I mean, I still am. I'm in my master's program. Um, when I got my bipolar diagnosis mm -hmm. and I had some time to like really like inner reflection. And I was like, to be honest, I just don't think I can hold space for yeah. other people. That's one of the things I didn't like about being a life coach was like, I, sometimes I just can't do that. Um, and so I was like, but I love psychology and I love going to school for psychology. What can I do with this? 
And then I was like, you know what? All of my jobs, no matter what they were, whether it was my first job working at McDonald's <laughs> or now I work as an admin assistant for a digital marketing company, my favorite parts of my jobs have been teaching. So that is something I can do with a psychology degree mm -hmm. is I can teach. And so being flexible with, I, we have these interests, but maybe in some capacity, we're not able to do exactly what we wanted, mm -hmm. but we could do something similar. So I'm, I, anyways, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm so happy that y'all brought up yeah. that, that flexibility yeah. piece because it's so important. If yeah, I may we, chime in here, we, I, I like to uh, reckon it to um, – or, um, or, or relate it to, um, like, uh, I've told people before, you wouldn't take somebody who's a wheelchair user, pick them up and tell them to walk, right? Or, you know, where's the wheelchair ramp for people who are mentally ill? Mm -hmm. And uh, those are the things that I think um, we need to start getting our mindset on. It's like, uh, just, just because you feel like you can't see it um, doesn't mean that there's not um, more focus needs to be put on, on accommodation, right? My, yeah. my workplace said, nope, there's no app. There's no way we can accommodate you. And it's a healthcare facility. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's ridiculous um, in that respect. So, I mean, where's our wheelchair uh, ramp? I use that as a, an example, right? Well, you, you bring up flexibility and we, we all know just how easily it is to be flexible bipolar. Mm-hmm. I am the <laughs> least flexible person and it drives my <laughs> husband crazy. Mm -hmm. Like there's a small <laughs> change in plans and it's, it's done with, mm -hmm. but you have a very good point. And I think that's what finally I came to terms with was it's like, you know, I already have a job and I love my job. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. I, I don't want to leave my job. So what is the degree that helps me stay in my job and get mm -hmm. better at my job? And, and that's where, you know, we came up with what to do, but Yeah. I, I, have I, think, those I think you have to be, you're right. You have to be flexible. Mm -hmm. I have those meltdowns too, Rebecca. <laughs> if something changes, I literally like start getting so anxious. Like I feel like the whole world is crashing down on me. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. As something thumps. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you said six and it is now seven and this is just not okay. Like, yeah, we have those meltdowns a lot. Oh, and it, it, it happened today too. It doesn't help that, you know, my son is ADHD, so he is also not flexible. <laughs> I just yeah. think, I think we need more of like a strength based mm -hmm. approach to a lot of these issues because even that analogy with like the wheelchair, it's like, interesting to me how the thing you asked the person in the wheelchair to do was walk why didn't you ask the person in the wheelchair to code a video game or to write a book or to there's so many things why did we focus in on literally the one thing that they maybe struggle with i just sometimes i just feel like we're missing the mark if we don't focus more energy on the strengths no i agree, I agree. with you my my point there was to simply say that you would never do that Right. Because you know that they have other strengths that you can you can utilize and you understand that you have to accommodate for that. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, my 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 point was to uh, have a situation where, like, if you are bipolar and you're having uh, swings and cycles or, or major depression and you're having a, a depressive episode, you know, I tell my psychologist all the time, it's all fine and good that you bring up these jobs that I could go to. But what boss is going to let me take three days off a week? Or, or two weeks mm. off because I can't get out of bed. Mm -hmm. That's what I mean. The customization just isn't there for people with mental health conditions. 
You know, and I will say the one thing that has really helped me in my mental health through all of this COVID nonsense is the fact that we switched and we went to work from home mm-hmm. because I can have a depressive episode and I'm not that busy sometimes at work. So it's like I can be depressed and not getting out of bed and check my email once or twice a day rather than get up, get dressed, go to work and sit at a desk. Right. It's- yes so much more accommodating to work from home with a mental illness, I think. I I hate to break up the conversation real quick. And Genevieve, you can speak next because I see you unmuted. But Star is losing power on her battery and she might have to go. I do want her to kind of say bye and hang on as long as you can when your phone dies. But I just, until your phone dies, but I just want you to be able to at least say, you know, closing words before you um, are uh, cast off into Never Never Land. I think she already left the building. Yeah. Oh, she already left oh, the building. Okay. <laughs> okay. Sorry, Star. Star, we love you. Thank you so much. Genevieve. Yes. <laughs> I know. Oh, Tom. Tom. It, it, Genevieve, it's, your voice has gotten deeper. It's very deeper, right? We're, we're, we're sharing the, the phone together. Uh, so. Fabulous. Oh, that's well, so cute. Yeah, well, you know, we're, teamwork makes the dream work, right? You know? Absolutely. Sharing is caring. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I, I think too, like, so I've been in the conversation. I, this may be going backwards a little bit, but I think something, you know, that I can bring to the conversation is like about like with, you know, something that really stuck with me when I was listening in on the conversation is that, you know, about what you want to do in life. Right. <laughs> and for me, you know, I, you know, grew up in, you know, a, you know, a, we all did in a one size fits all type of school uh, establishment. I think, I think, I think Tom is going, Tom, you're going in and out. Yeah. I heard we'll the same thing. thing. Tom, we and, can't you know, hear I, me now. Tom, you're back. Can you hear me now? Yes. I'm back. Can you hear me? Yes. Great, great. So, yes. uh, so beautiful. So when uh, I, I was saying, you know, I, I was diagnosed with ADD as a young kid and, you know, in elementary school, um, I was medicated through my time, you know, in basically up until high school. But what I found, you know, and now that I, I, I teach school, um, what I found interesting about, you know, what do you want to be and what you, you know, what you aspire to be is, you know, i went into vocational school in high school. You know, I, I did a dual kind of enrollment. And for me, the, um, just because I'm a, such a visual learner, like, you know, w- w- when the teacher would be talking, he'd be showing us a, a, a diagram, right? And that really visually, uh, it helped me understand what I was trying to learn. Um, but where I'm going with all of this is, I, I think in terms of like career paths and where we, you know, push our our children or suggest our children where to go i think we should really let them be free because i you know i like i said i dabbled in a number of different vocational trainings in high school i got out of school and was in vocational you know in a vocation uh, i was a a i worked for a shipwright and a boat builder so i studied boat building and boat repair so uh, you know, I was working this job and going to community college for a uh, a degree in business, but then the visual happened. You know, I I, I took a arts class and you know 
showed promise and you know it it, it changed my life and how i i guess study and think and look at the world but i mean uh, uh, ultimately i i feel like and i'm sorry if this is going too far back in the conversation uh you know i i, I think in terms of kids we should expose them to as many things as we can um, and, and, and teach them in as many um, different ways of, of approaching a subject as you can, the mm-hmm. visual, auditory, written. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> that, so, that's my – please. So I actually wanted to uh, ask Prince, you know, if you feel like it, um, what do you want to tell us about uh, grad school with bipolar disorder? Because you said you already have the master's. Um, it was, you know, what's weird. I, I had like a long phase to where I just wanted to push through it. Like grad school was a blur because mm-hmm. I was so focused on getting it done. So, I mean, like I get assignments on Monday. They were done Tuesday or Wednesday. Like it was just to the point where my wife, who's happens to also be a therapist so she sees when i'm in that motion like honey you know slow down enjoy it you know um space out your work mm-hmm. so grad school was absolutely like kind of a blur to me because mm-hmm. i was in a constant back and forth phase um so with that like you know i did the grad school i got my master's i graduated and like i said earlier i had the whole um well, I wanted to be a social worker thing. And then an advisor said to me, they said, you know, if you're going to do three and a half years in a field that you're totally, you've never done before, Mm -hmm. why don't you complete your doctorate in a field that you've been studying your Mm -hmm. whole life, which was criminal justice. So telling somebody with bipolar that, guess what they're going to do? They're going to start researching and going and trying to figure out how they do. So I actually did that. And I got accepted, so I'm going to start in January my doctorate in criminal justice. Nice, so congratulations! Thank Woo-hoo. you so much. But it's so much time until then. I don't want to back out because you know. So, but that's what I'm. That's what I'm doing now. But that's one of the things I look at to where I try to make my mental illness if it makes sense work for me because uh-huh. i know when i'm in that type of phase i can do anything that's right strength based there you go see right plus yes ma'am so that's what i'm feeling right now at this point that i can do this mm-hmm. i know i can do it so you can there, there are people ahead of you i know quite a few academics and people with very doctorates who have um, different mental illnesses and they definitely had you know some ups and downs even more than most of us also, just kind of like feel free to keep in touch. And if you have any questions about just is this normal for the doctoral experience, I guarantee you if it's incredibly stressful and pressuring, it's perfectly normal. Um, okay. <laughs> feel free to ask any questions just about kind of adapting to that because I did the master's before I did the doctorate too. And it's a little bit of a different animal. I mean, the master's is nothing small. That, that's awesome. But doctorate has a little bit of a different flavor to it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's where I'm at right now mm-hmm. to answer your question. My I went through it because I was in a constant phase of mm-hmm. I got to get it done. Right. But the issue is when I'm in that part to where I'm like, I don't feel like doing this today. Uh-huh. 
I like to tell people, no matter how you feel, you still have a choice where you put your energy, even mm-hmm. if at times it's high or it's mm-hmm. low. Um, my whole goal was to tell people, you know, instead of putting your energy, you know, drinking it away or, or using drugs, put it into purpose. And uh, that sounds um, a lot like what you're doing. So congratulations. That and you said earlier, you know, sometimes when you did masters, you could push through something a lot faster than other people could. So you don't have to space it out evenly. You could use that talent of yours to just get things done. So you have a little piece in between, you know, find your own pace of doing things as much as you can. Yes. And I, and I, I agree. I love this conversation. I love uh, Prince, your your story and everyone's story here, because one thing we try to suggest is, or tell Sebastian, our oldest, that, you know, we know your weaknesses and we know your strengths and we want him to play his strengths, you know, whether that's going to an art school. Um, he's all he also loves engines. And I would not be averse to him going to some sort of like tech, tech program so he can learn engines too, mm-hmm. you know, and he can do both. There's nothing that says he could not do both in mm-hmm. his life. He loves photography. He loves artistic stuff. No, that's it. one of the same though. That three-dimensional thinking is a high cognitive skill that he's yeah. got. So it makes total sense yes, that absolutely. he could do engines and do art. Those lend to each other. It's like cross training for an athlete, you know? That's cool. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. I never thought about it on that level. Yeah. Wait, like, for yeah. example, like. And that opens up so many opportunities for somebody who's got that skill. Yeah. Like one of my big hobbies is history. That comes in incredibly, incredibly handy as a therapist and a teacher because I can put things together. Here's where this has happened before. Right. Um, yeah. There's really a lot there that dovetails. Yeah, higher education was, in my opinion, never made to limit us. But for some reason along the way, we decided because we focused so specifically on these little areas mm-hmm. that now we, for some reason, don't have skills in others. Like, I don't understand that concept. We're learning in order to apply that in a generalized fashion to a wide variety of topics. I don't know why we have to narrow our view and our abilities to one set thing because that brings in that feeling of failure or not achieving it. If you didn't achieve the thing you thought you were going to grow up to be, then now right? Right. Needs to sort of continuously be implemented in each phase of our lives that we can look at things in a bigger perspective than maybe we think we're seeing with those blinders on. Right. You know, he's buying what you're selling in your niche. You're dead until you learn to shift it, use it a different way, combine it with other things. That is so mm-hmm. true. Yeah. Because let me tell you, That's my true. first, when I, I, I mean, I was in graduate school when my oldest was young and Rebecca was still in banking. Mm-hmm. I was at George Washington and I was in their school of political management. And I thought I wanted to be a PAC manager, a political mm-hmm. action committee manager. And I did not finish that program. And I'm glad today that I didn't because mm-hmm. honestly, I don't think I wanted to be a high paid administrator of someone else's political action committee. Like, I don't think I want to do that. I mean, I love politics. I love lobbying. I love advocacy. I love that work. But I don't think I I wanted to do that for long periods of time. And only recently I found a program in international uh, business or international relations. Uh, no, I'm sorry, international trade, which involved diplomacy, uh, business, and a bunch of elements of things that I like. And I told Rebecca, I said, I think I'm going to pursue this. I'm going to explore this more and we'll see. And look how many years this has taken from the time I was in my early 30s to now. Like I 
did not know what I wanted to study a master's degree in and become specialized. And, and um, I think to your point, um, Genevieve and Amy, like, mm-hmm. why, why be pigeonholed and mm-hmm. why, you know, into one thing? And you have to look for those cross sections. I, I love this conversation. Mm-hmm. Well, not only that, but you're also able to relate to a whole bunch of people who come through your door, too, you know, like mm-hmm. if you have a multitude of skill sets. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like, I like cars, for example. I, I work on them and, and fool around with them. So if, if somebody off, if somebody needs my help that's mechanically inclined, I have a, uh, I can build an instantaneous rapport. Um, well, maybe not so much instantaneous, but it gives you something to relate to, which people gravitate towards one another who have similarities and like hobbies. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. Yeah, the emphasis on being well-rounded has been mm-hmm. lost somehow in culture. Like, what happened? Absolutely, I agree. Yeah, agree 100%. Oh. Therapy is a wonderful career from, um, for that because you learn so much from your clients about their lives. You pick stuff up about what's going on, what's company, uh, what is like the terminology or the atmosphere of a certain field that they're in. And then someday you're going to have another client or just a friend who's in the same field and you've got stuff to talk about. That's the fundamental of human interaction, right? Like beyond therapy, it's like mm-hmm. our friends, our family, mm-hmm. our social network, mm-hmm. whoever we're interacting with. This is an interesting idea about like, you know, social media too, is that these younger generations, mm-hmm. although we seem to think that this is a very, you know, detrimental thing to their development, I wonder, because they're interacting with different cultures, languages, individuals and in places that we have never been able to even access and I think it's contributing to their development, but I don't know. I agree. I'm so like, not blindly pro-tech, but I feel like I can see a lot of advantages in a lot of the new technologies, especially social media. Like Mm -hmm. in the days before social media, how would having a mental illness have been different? There would be so many resources and potential sources of support you wouldn't have access to. Great. And uh, like, I just did a talk for 300 people in Nigeria of all places, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, and it was a wonderful experience. And uh, I mean, I wouldn't have that ex- experience. Like it was rich and fulfilling. I wouldn't have that experience. If it wasn't for technology. So, um, mm-hmm. I mean, technology is absolutely beneficial in a lot of ways. I mean, you get on Twitter and yeah, there's a lot of toxicity, but you'll also see somebody just reaching out like, I am having a terrible day. I feel like I'm having, having a meltdown. Can I have virtual hugs? Can I have pet pictures yeah, yeah. to calm me down? And next thing you know, they've got all these comments giving them the support that they need. That's what I like about the mental health community, oh. if you will, because they, yeah. they're not like, well, my bulb holder's worse than yours or my, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a very supportive thing. You know, like if you need that help, someone's going to say, well, someone's going to offer mm-hmm. that support. Right. Yeah, like all powerful things, right? It can dra- mm-hmm. it can pull you up, it can drag you down, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, but that's right. Yeah, sort of a lot for it and navigate it. I find a very interesting thing these days with a lot of clients I work with is the interest in video games and mm-hmm. these virtual settings. Many of the parents really want to come from the perspective of limiting screen time, which uh-huh. I understand again. But I wonder, it's like if you joined the child in that setting, if you observed what they were doing, how much would you learn about them? You know, are we kind of squandering an opportunity to really get to know these kids? I'm so I just did that today with my young fella and we he was showing me the game happily and uh-huh. you know, telling me how he interacts with his friends and he was talking to his friends and things. So it was a good experience actually. We really connected. And there are actually companies producing video games intended 
to help people with mental illness. Whoa. Like, learn, oh, learn depression oh, coping cool. skills, learn anxiety coping skills through leveling up through this video game kind of thing. Oh, yeah, because game theory, we know in psychology, is an excellent way to approach a challenge, yes. right? Framing it in that context yes, yes. really in, increases the motivation, the mm -hmm. interest, and the outcomes. So why not? You know, so cool. if you it think about how like many mental health that. problems have to do with attention and memory, how many mental health problems cause problems in attention memory, video games are great at commanding your attention, grabbing that attention back from whatever intrusive thought is troubling you. There's actually some really interesting research. You might know about this, Genevieve, the Tetris and PTSD research that's progressing. Oh, yes. progressing yeah, in an yeah, interesting yeah, way. definitely. Yeah, Tetris, yeah, that's huh? incredible, incredible information. But this Tetris can actually be part of treating intrusive thoughts, and there are multiple studies starting to say the same mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, we've seen this for years in research, though. The issue is, this is, and this is why the podcast, in my opinion, is so important. Yes. Because we've seen this in, in the research. We know this, right? Deep in our bones of data, we know this to be true. But right. we need to translate now the data and the numbers and all that really heavy, boring research into the hands of the people. And that is why this podcast, to me, is just beyond important for how the communities can change and take in this information. I mean, for example, just this tiny snippet, I just did like a deep dive on executive functioning. Yeah. Fascinating information. Mm -hmm. Sharing that information with parents or yeah. you know, with individuals that struggle with those functions, mm -hmm. letting them learn and mm -hmm. then, you know, identify what would best assist them. Yeah. You Come know, on. one of the <laughs> one of the neatest things that I learned about ADHD came off of an ADHD group mm -hmm. and they were talking about body doubling mm -hmm. and Sebastian has always done it. And I never knew what it was, but it's where you need someone in the room with you to get mm -hmm. the thing done. Right. And he always like, and he never needed me to get the work done, but I had to be next to him. And so to understand, you know, cause at first it was like, I can't be your crutch. I can't always be your crutch. But then it was like, no, it's something that he actually needs to function. He just needs a person there. And I learned it and I explained it to him and <laughs> What him and his best friend, because now his, his best friend is ADHD too, what they do now is when they're doing homework, they put each other on FaceTime and they don't even barely talk to each other, mm -hmm. but it's having that body double there. They can get the thing done. Right. Yeah, again, it's broadening that idea of functioning, right? Mm -hmm. Like right there, it's like, what did we do there? We decided that for him to be able to function somewhere along the line that he had to do it by himself. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then we didn't do it by himself. We deemed it as failure. And yeah. that right there, where was the link there? Well, and they always tell you, right, especially as a mother of a child, like, you can't be his crutch. You're not going to be there forever. And he's going to have to grow up someday. And mar, 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 mar. so, like, mm -hmm. you try not to be that crutch. And then, you know, his brain works differently. Like, I always have to remember that, like, he's just going to work differently. And it's not a crutch. It's what he needs to function. Yeah, you and know, then think I, about I mean, even what a crutch is. Mm -hmm. I mean, the reality is, right, when we break your leg or we have an injury, they get provided with what? A crutch. A crutch. Right. So That's I don't a very good point. I like that. I like that a lot. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. 
And Genevieve, we really you know, need to keep in touch because I'm exactly the yes, yes, to make yes, research on tech real. I'm like the tech happy you know, one of those. Hey, you can find me, theremoteot.com. Come and get me. Lovely. I'm right here. <laughs> well, you know what? I like I, this conversation. No, because, I, I, uh, I, well, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, you go ahead. Okay, no problem. I like this. Uh, I like this particular part of the conversation because I think that it can go a long way to help educate people who don't quite understand it. Like, um, there's some good research on major depression and inflammation of the brain, for example, and 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 other things that that we could associate as an injury. Like, what I try to, to tell people is like, you if if you know that a um, that a relative has a heart condition, you you know you don't you don't make fun of him for it. Or, you know what I mean? We understand that there's sort of a physiological mechanism that's not working correctly. Well, the brain is an organ as well, and it sometimes doesn't function like it should. I, I think that might help. Like, I, I forget who brought up the point of it, but it would, be a, it would be a good education point for a lot of people if we could get the data out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, no, I was going to say, you know, just kind of you know, piggybacking or just kind of chiming in. I remember when I was young, um, you know, I needed to have that affection and very close sort mm-hmm. of relationships with my educators. And at one yeah. point I was dinged for it. They were like, you know, he's awfully um, clingy, clingy mm-hmm. and he's affectionate yeah, yeah. and that's, that's sweet. But um, some people might take that the wrong way. And it was automatically something mm-hmm. negative. I wasn't inappropriate, but you know, if, if I knew my teacher for a while, I may give him a hug. I was young. I mean, I didn't care. I, I mean, my teachers were cool, mm-hmm. but you know, it was just, you know, that, that culture then. Um, and then they did it when Sebastian was young. Yeah. Sebastian they, was deemed clingy in, in, um, in preschool. Some, some school psychologist was like, yeah, your son is awfully clingy and maybe he needs therapy. He was four years old, three years old and just leaving the home. Like, of course he's, of clingy. Course he's clingy. Mm-hmm. You know? Of course he's clingy. Yeah. Whoever suggested so we, that should be right. Geez, so we need to rethink, it. like you know, how we, I don't know, analyze or diagnose mm-hmm. people or mm-hmm. look at situations. Yeah, or even like I mean, that statement there of like you know, if the brain is not working the way it should, it's like right there. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. When did we determine how the brain was supposed to work? Let me know because the last time I checked, we don't even know how it works yet. So when did we figure <laughs> out? I'm sorry, let's back it up a second. When did we figure out how it should work when we have yet to explain how it even currently works? Amen. Right. And like with ADHD, you know, there's still a very, you know, foggy borderline between like to what extent it's actually a biological, you know, disorder and illness and to what extent it's just society being rigid about how a person is supposed to behave and how they're supposed to learn. Yes. And I'm, I'm all with that. Like I, like, we diagnose these kids with ADHD and it's like, do they really have a disorder though? Like, is it really a disorder or are they just not fitting into your little box that you want to check off? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's enough pain and um, suffering with ADHD that, and there are specific measurable differences in the brain that there's something biological going on there clearly, but how much is it? that dovetails with the question of how much society is willing to make room for that. Mm -hmm, That's right. Well, And like, I'm a very good example here. Like, you know, my, I was talking to my psychiatrist about how, you know, I'm kind of not focusing at school and blah, blah, blah. And we kind of went over all of the questions and answers. And then she goes, you know, you're, you probably, you ADHD. Mm -hmm. 
And she's like, why? And I was like, well, why did nobody ever catch that? Like, why am I 38? And just now hearing that I might be ADHD. And she's like, well, were you good in school? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I've always gotten good grades in school. She's like, because they never diagnose it unless you're bad in school. Mm-hmm. She goes, that's how it gets diagnosed is when the kids aren't doing well in school. And she goes, and a lot of times with females, y'all do really well in school with it. Mm-hmm. It's the boys that have the hard time with the mm-hmm. focusing. See, I knew we were at the bottom of the totem pole. Right. I knew it. I just knew it. No, we just always um, want to give I you I just wanted to say that... Uh, <laughs> with with you know in neurology there's there's clear malformations in certain mm-hmm. disorders that that cause that are causal relationships yeah with post traumatic stress for example your mm-hmm. amygdalas are are malformed and and you know your fight flight or freeze response is always engaged mm-hmm. and it systematically shuts off the prefrontal cortex that's what I mean you can there are measurable things like heart disease right that atrophy um, of the ventricles that, and schizophrenia that, right those are things that you the, what I'm trying to say is that we can if you can, like people understand inflammation really well, right? Mm-hmm. So there's 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 a causal relationship there mm-hmm. to a degree. So I mean, if we can educate people on those things mm-hmm. from a layperson's perspective, you might you might you might be able to bridge that gap between oh that makes sense because it is a part of the human body, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's what I'm trying to make as a point. Mm-hmm. I do agree with the fact that we don't we don't know everything about the brain and. Mm-hmm. And uh, that we can't yeah, find an incredible thing is despite despite physiological abnormalities, the brain neurological network is able to work around a lot of physical hurdles. It so is. that concept as well, it it's hard to tell. Right. Even when you say ventricles are small or there's abnormalities, yes, but we still have not that you know comprehension level of how things work around each other, how neurons travel, migrating. Mm-hmm. You know, that's all yeah. still still yet to be discussed. Mm-hmm. It's you know absolutely, I agree. I, I'm just trying to think. I just try to think from a layman's perspective of how you could help best, you know, curb the stigma that that uh, everyone else doesn't really understand. You yeah, know, I think so it's much. a lot of like that neurodiversity re- acceptance. You know, that's what mm-hmm, I think right. we start with realizing that like it's different isn't yep. less than it's just different. No, I no, not at all. No, not at all. Right, and when you're looking at I things like ADHD that. and autism you know, recognizing that there are very distinctive strengths that are typical of that condition, as well as very specific areas of kind of need or weakness. Yeah, again, it's that strength-based approach, you know? I feel like we've lost this flexibility and acceptance for a broader view of things. You know, we understand that maybe artists or, you know, graphic designers or IT people, you know, maybe there's different traits we can draw upon those professions in and of themselves, but everything's welcome, everything's possible. Right. And I feel like with bipolar disorder, I get a lot of clients who want to try and find a balance where, okay, they're much more stable and they love that, but they're losing in touch with their creativity and trying to help Mm -hmm. them reconnect with creativity can be a big part of therapy for bipolar. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, You you know, that is one of the biggest complaints that you hear in the support groups and Mm -hmm. everywhere else is that I don't want to take my medication because I'll lose all of my creative juice. I mean, look at look at what's his name? Uh, Yay. Kanye West. I mean, that's why he won't take medication. Yeah. And it's like I always tell people it's like you won't lose it. You won't. It it it, you'll experience it differently, Uh but you don't Mm -hmm. lose it. I find that it, to be true. Yeah. It'll flow at a different rate, but you can still get in touch with it. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Right. I think that's accurate. Really uh-huh. accurate, actually. I like that. Flow at a different rate. I like that. Uh-huh. 
but so I don't know what else do you hear as kind of some of the major worries in support groups for bipolar things that would keep people out of therapy or keep people from taking meds that they might benefit from I think the biggest fin thing that finances. I hear finances finances oh, definitely no definitely finances Prince mm -hmm. but access uh, side access. effects <laughs> when it comes to therapy, it's access. Uh -huh. It's it's having the the um, insurance, and it's being able to even get in to see the quote unquote good therapist, right? Because they're backed up, or it's a three month waiting period, uh -huh. or any of the above. And so, access is a really big issue for a lot of people, mm -hmm. I think, especially in America. I'm talking in America. I'm not sure about mm -hmm. outside of America, but access is bad. Right. And it's a problem right now. Canada I don't know too. any therapists who aren't at least a little bit backed up. And like in Chicago, we're said to be the most competitive city in the United States for therapists because there's so many of so many different kinds that it, even two years ago, people were saying it's really tough to start and run a practice because there aren't enough clients for all the therapists. Well, hello, Corona. Every therapist I know is booked up and exhausted. <laughs> yep, and here too, whether they're whether in the public system or the private, you can't you can't get one. Right. It's because of COVID. Like mm -hmm. um, in Ontario, in Toronto Hospital, I think maybe I'm wrong. Um, it was a hospital in Canada. Fifty percent of their ER visits were were uh, mental health related. Mm -hmm. Like that's astronomical. <laughs> and I don't think that's going to disappear you know, when COVID gets stabilized because there's going to be lasting trauma uh, relationships Absolutely. that have been damaged by this. This is going to last a long time, putting things back together. Oh, yeah. it's. It, I've, I've read an article and some of the experts were, were talking about how they, they felt it was going to be the next pandemic uh -huh. worldwide, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, definitely I could see the damage when I did the talk in Nigeria. There's it's a very similar story there. I mean, obviously mm -hmm. there's cultural differences and all that, but but it's it's been on the rise everywhere. Mm -hmm. And and to your point, Genevieve, um, side effects with medication is a big one. Yes. I mean, that is the you know, very you know what I find lately. I got to tell you about the side effects thing. Like you brought that up because it's like lately it's interesting to me how physicians are so hesitant to write a referral for therapy, mm -hmm. but will write you a script for like the most intense medication they can find <laughs> without skipping yeah. a beat. Yeah. Like without skipping right. a beat. Like tell me what's going my, on right I, now with physicians that they feel. Tell me a pediatric case that is contraindicated for therapy. Like I used to work in orthopedics and splinting and I understand there's particularities with, you know, having to, you know, work post-surgically and surgeons can be very particular about what they want done. Got it. That makes sense. But tell me when therapy is going to be contraindicated for a pediatric case, a mental health case. Like I don't see how they can't offer anything but support and help. Mm -hmm. I am very anti people going to their PCM for mental health. Uh -huh. um, too, very yeah. much so. And I understand for some people it is access. They can't afford it. Their insurance doesn't 
it doesn't cover it. I completely understand. However, I had a very, very bad um, experience with my PCM when I was in my early 20s. Mm-hmm. And I went to her and I said, I think I have depression. And of course, instead of like, you know, because she's not a mental health professional, actually like digging in, she was like, okay, well, I'm going to, di- or I'm going to give you this medication. And I went on it and um, it actually made my suicidal ideation worse. Mm-hmm. And I came back to her and I said, oh, this made me worse. Like I have I was already having suicidal ideation and it just got worse. And she's like, that's not possible. I'm like, I'm telling you, that's what happened. And she's like, that only happens in one and like 500,000 people. I'm like, well, that's who I am. I'm one in 500,000. And that was it. <laughs> she never said, not. yeah, she never said, go to a therapist, go to a psychiatrist. And I had medication or I had medication. I had insurance that would have covered that. Uh-huh. She never said any of that. And she's like, well, I'm, I can put you on another medication, but if you had a bad reaction to this one, supposedly you'll have a bad reaction to others. Well, come to find out I had a bad reaction because I have bipolar disorder Uh um, and I was being treated with a medication that would not have gone well with that. And, you know, I'm, I know people don't always have access and don't always have finances, but anybody listening, if you, if it is even possible, please at least get diagnosed by a mental health professional Mm -hmm. and get like, Mm -hmm. um, get on a, a a maintenance dose. And then of course, like, you know, you can't afford it, go and have your PCM keep up with it, but getting the right diagnosis and finding the right medication is so important. And a PCM just, most of them don't have the training to do that. I wholeheartedly agree. Like I can give you an example. So for example, when I went to the psychiatrist, right, I insisted on it actually. And my physician was pretty good about it. But so I learned that Rasacin is good for nightmares for PTSD. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's an alpha blocker or a beta blocker. I think I can't remember which, but so I, I would have never gotten that option had I just took my GP and let her run with it. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, and uh, lo and behold, uh, it does, it does help a lot with the nightmares. So um, it's it's their expertise in that field versus a generalized mm-hmm. um, understanding of mental health. So I agree with you 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree because we for, bipolar reared its ugly head when I was in the military and I was just going to see the Uh-oh. general practitioners and they gave me Zoloft, which just made me manic. Ooh. And then when I went yeah. manic, they told me it was all in my head. And if I didn't think about it, it wouldn't be a problem. So so they're not see, always the, the best people too. to see. That kind of stuff, yeah. Like mm-hmm. I had – actually, I was at the gym one time. And I, I know if there was a GP that works there or works out there with me. Or, well, we meet up sometimes. And he said, you know what? You, need, you just need to get back to work. Mm-hmm. And I thought, yeah, that's exactly why I go to a psychiatrist. <laughs> exactly. Right? Like they yeah. – you know – you General practitioners are great, but they're not great when it comes to your head. Like, they're mm-hmm. just not. No, they're like, not. And I have a friend right now who is going through all kinds of problems. And she's like, oh, I just saw my GP and they said it was depression. And I was like, you really need to go see somebody else. Like, yeah. <laughs> because it might be just depression, but it might be depression. It could be low D. It could be low B or low D, you know, vitamin D. It could be anything, right? It could be anything. You know? And you need to go yeah. see the people who are in tune to that. Mm-hmm. That's right, 100%. That's why I, I thank the therapist every time I see them because they're working hard during this pandemic like everyone else. So mm-hmm. thank you guys for your work, your hard work. So um, 
Steven and Rebecca, what's the final topic your guys' talk topic? Because I'm just like, I don't I don't remember this one. The changes in the media to emphasize the voices of the people. No, no that that's was Amy. That's Dr. D. Oh, Amy. That well, was me. I, I was we thinking get... we have everybody dropping <laughs> off that uh -oh. maybe we should pivot to the third topic. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking like what we might be able to do to get, you know, more voices of people with lived experience. Because I get calls for quotations for different articles on mental health all the time. I've got the professional experience. I don't know, the lived experience. And so what we could be doing to kind of band together to push that idea of maybe, you know, there should be a basic ethical standard. And I know people have tried to write ethical standards like this, that you don't comment on a mental illness, at least not on the subjective experience of it, without also including a source who actually has it. Oh, that's a good one. I'd also say even one. mental health professionals shouldn't comment on a social media post mm -hmm. trying to diagnose people. <laughs> well, not diagnosing them, definitely not. I uh, had one on Twitter tried to tell me my, my son does not have ADHD. Oh, and I on. was like, um, uh, he's been diagnosed by a mental health professional. And she's like, I am too. And I'm like, and you don't know his case. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you like don't know his symptoms. Yeah, that's, that's a bad crazy. therapist right there. I'm going to have to start. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to say, yeah. sometimes, you know, they're uh, not, they're humans too, but it's sometimes yeah, that's yeah. a bad, bad therapist. Yeah. Uh, I agree. There was a therapist it not is, too long ago know, that was advocating that, that medications don't work. I've never seen a, a patient or a client or whatever they refer to in his case benefit from medications, which is categorically false, I think. What is it, 60, 60% or... Usually responsive to SSRIs, I think. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, like, then I just must be a fluke then. <laughs> so there's some bad apples. In, there's some bad apples even in even in the profession itself, right? Yeah. No, Amy, I agree with you. Is um, They do need to have, yes, as a professional, you all have gone to school. You have been licensed. You have all these things. But mm -hmm. if you don't have personal experience with the mental health diagnosis mm -hmm. itself, you're your take on it is is lacking a little something yeah. um that could be provided by right. them having a story from somebody who's experienced it because it's easy to list out the symptoms but what do those symptoms mean how do they mm -hmm. present themselves because irritability to me may be different for rebecca oh, like, yeah you know manic to me may be different than rebecca being manic like mm -hmm. you know it varies yeah no, and, you know, I think one of the good things that we have seen through COVID um, is that more people who are in the spotlight, more celebrities, more people with clout are mm -hmm. coming out and talking mm -hmm. about mental illness a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, or the, the Olympics, the athletes. The mm -hmm. athletes yes, are talking yeah. about mental Wonderful. illness a little bit more. And so it is becoming less taboo. Mm -hmm. Um and we are getting to see that even like, you know, the people that we revere and hold up on pedestals, they have issues too. Um, and so it's less scary, right? Because if you're newly diagnosed, like say you're a huge Simone Biles fan, like if you're newly diagnosed, mm -hmm. like it might, it's comforting to know that like I have this, but so does this other really successful person mm -hmm. that I, I look up to. Mm -hmm. And what and a you know, gift! Like, and you know, I commented on uh, I commented on last week's show real quickly. I'll just chime in about Billy Porter, mm -hmm. um, the the star of uh, Pose and Broadway star, and he had mentioned that 
what COVID did for him, and this is why this is such a special time, and I'm glad we're having this conversation. And I said it last week, it forced him to slow down and to really deal with the trauma and the issues that he had and the things that he thought he'd put to bed and he dealt with. But COVID slowed him down so much that that's all he could think about. Mm -hmm. And if he didn't deal with it, there might have been some dire consequences. Right. So, I mean, this is a great moment in history um, uh, to really kind of correct some of those things we've covered up, repressed, mm -hmm. but also some of those therapeutic strategies and things that have been done to um, harm people. Like, thank God we're not doing lobotomies much anymore. Yeah, or like you said, slowing down, that's like grounding, you know? For us with anxiety that we're way up over our head, it's like coming down into your body and being grounded like that, slowing down like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or just like a blind yeah, recommendation. You need to meditate. You need to mindfulness without any awareness of like the wide variety of ways that it can affect people. Oh, yeah, I know. That's always, yes. I think for some people, that's almost becoming a trigger when they're like, breathe. And you're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> it's a you know, you know what's so breathe. funny? I have a friend who is bipolar and she posted online not too long ago. She goes, if you say mental illness in a mirror three times, a white woman comes to tell you to try yoga. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, nice. off of that, Rebecca, every time <sighs> I get into depression, I have somebody chime up like, why don't you just work out? You know, it really helps. Yeah. It helps boot. I'm like, have you been depressed? Like, do you, I can barely function. Yeah. You think I have the energy to actually go and do a freaking workout? Like, right, you're lucky now. I'm oh getting out of God. bed to make it to the bathroom right now. Exactly. And I don't think you understand the gravity of the situation. Right. right. <laughs> so I was trying I mean, to educate a friend of mine about depression. So I sent him a bunch of stuff and I said, Hey, did you check out that depression stuff? Cause like the things that you say aren't really helpful. Like mm -hmm. I was setting boundaries, right? Like we talked about earlier. And he said, No, I don't need to read that. I know what it's about. Oh, and I said, God. Well, obviously you don't. <laughs> Jesus, like, just you know, you know, you can't even get your friends to understand. How do you, you know, it's very isolating, isn't mm -hmm. it? Like even therapy can damage people if it's not well done or if they're not clear on, you know, why they're recommending a certain thing. Like mindfulness mm -hmm. um, can actually trigger depressive episodes or flashbacks, or even in some rare cases, psychosis in people. So you want to be mm -hmm. really careful using it wow. with people, who, for example, who have PTSD. Yeah, trauma-informed care. That's, that's, what, that's what needs right. to be happening, more trauma-informed right. yeah. care, which a lot of times it's difficult for me to understand how you provide trauma-informed care if you have never endured your own trauma. So I guess that comes back to like sharing the diagnosis or experience with it itself. But it's really interesting to me, providers that are doing trauma-informed care that yet have no personal trauma they can speak on. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm glad that was brought up. I didn't know that, but my, my uh, psychologist was very much into that mindfulness. And mm -hmm. I was trying to figure out why it's not really helping. It, it <laughs> that may be help why. anybody. It's a really, really good option for a lot of people. Other people, yeah, it's yeah. nothing. Other people, it harms. It, it's certainly, certainly not doing uh, any good for mm -hmm. myself. Right. Um, so that's. I'm glad you brought that up. I, if, mm -hmm. I'd like to get more information on that. Do you know where yeah. I can find that? Um. I actually learned it from a teacher in school, so I'll try to look up some sources for you. Um, okay. Uh, that would be great. So I probably can't remember, like, what textbook lecture or article that actually came from, but I've actually seen it, like, in sessions, like, okay, let's try this, but tell me if anything starts to get worse. 
and somebody will say, okay, I've been meditating for two minutes and I'm feeling a flashback coming on. Okay, let's switch real quick to yeah. this other thing. And That's it has really done a lot of good knowing that I need to yeah. kind of tell people, okay, we can try this because it works for a lot of people, but I need to know right away if anything's going on. Mm -hmm. and my startle response is so high. I wonder if that has anything to do with like, like when you do your meditation oh. things or, or the, they have the calm guy talking and oh. therapy there sometimes, you know, um, he takes that long break and then he, Mm -hmm. starts talking again that's enough to make me jump out of my skin so uh -huh. i that's the other thing i don't think uh mindfulness is working for myself because it mm -hmm. even that gap like it just takes me right out of the moment so between right. between just being triggered and jumping around because there's a sudden noise right uh, have you done exposure therapy john just curious no i haven't no what what we're what the focus is now is we've moved to off and we're doing more cognitive behavior therapy. or have you done dialectical behavioral um, or just cognitive just cognitive i haven't done dialectical. might be some interesting things to explore I, I, there some exposure therapy some dialectical behavioral mm -hmm. therapy it may it may just help supplement whatever you're currently doing yeah well i appreciate that the the thing we're trying to get me into a long-term or in treatment care actually because things aren't working out very well at all so mm -hmm. that that would be great because that would probably encompass a lot of those mm -hmm. therapies right it's mm -hmm. uh funded by the military so where firefighters have access to it i guess if they can find the funding mm -hmm. i think a great part of this conversation is showing people um, that it's not one size fits all. And I mm -hmm. think that's a lot of the times what everybody gets caught up with, right? Well, my friend mm -hmm. has bipolar disorder and this is what they deal with and this is what helps them. So why doesn't that help you? Or, you know, my friend um, has PTSD and this is what helps them. And why doesn't this help you? And, and people, mm -hmm. and, and I, back to your point, Amy, about mm -hmm. the media is instead of um, they, they paint us with this wide brush, mm -hmm. right? That like everybody mm -hmm. who has mental health disorders or everybody that has a certain mental health disorders has the same problem. And, and people blaming mental health for things mm -hmm. that are not related to mental health. Mm -hmm. It's one of my biggest pet peeves mm -hmm. is like, come on yeah. now, like stop saying everybody that does something bad has a mental health disorder when they don't right. and they haven't been diagnosed. Right. It's interesting when you bring up like the, yeah. the media or thinking even just like movies, like mm -hmm. a lot of times whoever's casting the individuals, it's like how often do they really take into, you know, consultation, the input from individuals that are living that experience, mm -hmm. they will craft a character and then they will quickly create generalizations and stereotypes that now will be imposed upon the community mm -hmm. that they're representing without any information. Mm -hmm. Like, let's yeah, just think yeah. about that full circle, what we're doing there, you know? <laughs> Wonder 100%. And, and back to what Rebecca said about how it, she really hates it when people use, you know, mental health disorders as adjectives. I, I feel the same way is I actually gotten in a Twitter argument confession um, <laughs> a couple weeks ago with, uh, I don't know if you all watch Jersey Shore, but I do. It's my yep. really trash TV. Snooki and I got in an argument on um, Twitter because I she, saw that. You saw that? <laughs> she did um, something Yeah, she got about, in a fight with Snooki. Yeah, I got in a fight with Snooki. Well, I mean, I don't know if she was really genuine in her response about, I'm sorry, I didn't know. But she said something along the lines of, um, is anybody else a bipolar mom where one day you're really motivated to do all these things and the next day you're just sitting on the couch watching TV with kids? And I commented... Oh 
You know, yeah, I commented like, you know, bipolar disorder is a severe mental health disorder. If you truly believe you do have bipolar disorder, I highly suggest seeking out a mental health professional. Otherwise, um, saying, using words in that manner is contributing to the stigma around these mental health disorders. And um, she retweeted my tweet or my comment and said, you know, was like, I'm sorry, I didn't realize. And I really hope she's being genuine because I actually really like the show. Um, But I, (laughs) the hate that I got from that comment was ridiculous. One woman told me to go take my meds. And then when I told her, I'm like, you just proved my point. She was just like, you need to stay off Twitter because it's obviously bad for your illness. Oh, um, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I've been told the same thing when I have called people out on, like, Facebook and stuff that, like, don't use my illness as your adjective. They're like, maybe you don't need to be on social media because it's right. really triggering to you. But, I mean, go so an asshole so intelligent. That's the best thing they can come up with. Maybe you shouldn't be here. Yeah, what, what a statement, I mean, right? Like, here's an idea. Uh, We're uncomfortable with what you're sharing, so can we remove you from the room so that we can still be comfortable? Awesome. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Like, right. And, yeah, and Genevieve, like you said, I think the media, um, you know, having these stereotypes and showing them like in movies or in, in news articles, I think that supercharges that kind of like comments and posts because these people think it, like they think bipolar disorder. They think, oh, one day we're very motivated. The next day we're not. And I'm like, that's it's way more complex than that. <laughs> way more complex. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I I mean, that was just, you know, based on what you said, Amy, about, you know, uh, having people in the media who actually have these disorders mm-hmm. and actually have these experiences mm-hmm. so we can show people like it's more complex and it's not the stereotypes you think it is. Like mm-hmm. I've had people say, oh, my friend's bipolar too, because, you know, one day they're super happy and the next day they're not. And I was like, are they diagnosed bipolar? No, no, they're not. But that's just how it is. And I'm like, no, that's not how that works. Um, But it's these stereotypes they see. And that's what feeds into it. Yeah, it's a fine line between normalizing and... Uh Hey, 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 guys, Mm -hmm. I I love this conversation. And I don't want it to end. Unfortunately, um, our session, I guess, according to the system, (laughs) it's gonna cut us off in two minutes, it's gonna cut us off in two minutes. (laughs) So let's I mean, you know, we're more than happy to come back for another show next week, if you Mm -hmm. want, and and we can continue this conversation. Um, You know, and because I'm more than happy to do that. too. This is this is really enriching. Um, but yeah, it is certainly going to shut off, shut us off in two minutes. So Amy and <laughs> Megan and everyone, do you guys want to do a round robin? Maybe some final thoughts, um, maybe a couple seconds each. On to the after party. Okay. <laughs> All right. So after this, everybody who participated in the summit, we're going to meet back over on the post-show Zoom, and we're going to wrap up there and um, and kind of um, talk. But mm-hmm. right now, I just want to thank everyone for participating in this year's summit. And wow, what an incredible conversation. I mean, just enriching. I mean, how often do you see folks with mental illness having these high-level thought leadership type conversations mm-hmm. with practitioners mm-hmm. in the field? And I think that's something that I haven't heard of yet. I haven't seen it in other places. And I'm glad we were able to accomplish it today. And I look forward to future conversations. Thank you to everyone who joined us live. Uh, we appreciate it. Um, we did-